from the smallest room in New York City. I, I've been depressed. It's a show that gives you a reason to live. Lift it up. I'm chatting today with 40-year NYPD veteran Pete Peduccio uh, from the Night Watch. He's a detective. He's joining me again today. Hey, Pete, how are you? Good evening, Pat. How are you? I'm doing very well. We promised everybody on the last episode we'd be talking about DeVernon. Uh, what's his Legrand. name? Legrand. What a great name. DeVernon Legrand. It almost sounds like a room in Graceland or something. The DeVernon Legrand room. It's a great name. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, to catch up on some things happening in New York City. Some hostile Hasidic demonstrators, as they're characterized by the New York Daily News. Now, you can't trust that particular news source to characterize hostility. They don't even uh, characterize the own, uh, their own local government as hostile, and they certainly are. This is hours after the beating of an innocent man unconscious, it says, and, uh, and the torching of, of masks, protective face masks. They had the nerve. That's worse than burning a flag, isn't well, it, Pete? The beating you got to take with a grain of salt. He's a member of that community. Yeah. Who, just from what I'm reading in the articles, they were calling him a snitch. A snitch. I think he's a local blogger type kind of guy, but he is a member of the community, and they were not happy with him filming them. Right, because why are you doing that? It's just going to attract attention to our scene. Um, is that what you mean? Like, uh, yeah. It, 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 I think it's more internal to what's going on within the community. Very insular community. It's not like this is just some random guy walking down the street and they decided, oh, let's kick his ass. No, right. it's not it at all. Well, when they, yeah, innocent is uh, always a relative term, isn't it? I mean, uh, the guy wasn't accused of any a major crime that I know of, but it doesn't make him innocent. And, and, and really, this community is tight-knit and they need uh, to remain tight-knit in order to survive. That's their whole deal. They're, they're Hasidic Jews. They all dress the same. They all look the same. They all basically do the same things. They remain in the same community. And, and one of the things that they all do together is ignore Mayor de Blasio. Without a orders. doubt. Yeah, which but, is encouraging for me. Uh, well, they're ignoring him now. Um, there's been some times in the past where members of that community were also deeply involved with de Blasio. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, um, Reichnitz, I believe, was one of them uh, who... Um, there's yeah, there, there was there was some issues there with allegations of uh, some chicanery. It involved favors. It involved high-ranking police officials. Uh, some some gun licenses. And uh, some gun licenses and some I, flights to Nevada. Yes, and then I think at the end of the day, probably some money in De Blasio's pocket. Uh, not directly, but what? our mayor corrupt. He's a grifter. He's he's a one of a kind. Uh, it, 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 he's a singularly bad person and mayor, and uh, and uh, it, the damage he's done is irreparable and absolutely devastating to the city. Now, Gabby, um, what was her name? I was just thinking of the the prostitute that they took out there. I mean, I don't want to call her a prostitute, but I mean, I think she was going out there for money. I don't think I don't think she was in love with anybody on that flight, but she was dressed as a flight attendant, really attractive girl. You know, the woman is beautiful, beautiful. But the word vapid would be a huge elevation of her intellectual sort of demeanor, you know. She's uh she's a hoe. She's I've communicated with her, yeah. She's and she's uh, I want to get her on the show real real bad. I mean, I don't mean to knock the woman, but Oh no! Well, that's, she, she, that, her profession is she's a prostitute. Oh yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, um, oh, I'm being kind here, and I'll, I'll say she's a, <laughs> a prostitute. Well, no, oh, it was nice. Don't do you remember the case with uh, uh, Howard Greenberg and and uh, he started saying, "No, they're hoes." That's all. And he's like, "They like being hoes. They enjoy it. They may enjoy it, but there's certain 
people that I think if you did call them a hoe would take offense to it. Yeah. Um, Most of them not hoes, though. Well, I don't know. But Greenberg used it as a defense for some reason. I don't know. Do you remember that case? It was uh, some sec- they were trying. He was trying to get him out of sex trafficking charges and and get it brought down to just simple, you know, being a pimp. Okay. And uh, they found there were definitely father and son pimps from uh, Pennsylvania. Pimp's got a pimp, <laughs> and, and a hoe's got a hoe. And uh, that's uh, Gabby. I'll I'll link you to her Instagram page at crimereport.nyc. How about that? I try not to promise anything I can't deliver, and that I do believe I can deliver. Now the streets are a little bit uh, active, and and they are. Uh, Still active uh, this evening, I do believe, according to today's newspaper. There's a problem in the enforcement. I don't even know how much of this daily news I want to go by. I'm reading from the New York Post now. This is today's paper. Like I said before, yesterday's daily news. Uh, Mayor de Blasio pledged a clearer approach to enforcement on Thursday after another night of unrest in Brooklyn's Orthodox Jewish Borough Park neighborhood. Of course, we remember Borough Park, uh, the Leiby Kletsky murder and uh, Levy Aaron. Yes, and uh, that that's uh, that was what first attracted our attention to that back in 2011. Now, uh, he, uh, he, the mayor is also fending off questions about whether the city unfairly policed Black Lives Matter protests. What, given uh, that there were no arrests made during the Borough Park anti-lockdown demonstrations for two days? Do you believe the perspective of the Post? What the fuck is it? this? Is shocking to me. Shocking. He fended off questions about whether this. Who would ask such a question? Did you? What's the deal with some of these Black Lives Matter looters being arrested, and you don't arrest any of these hebes? <laughs> the unmitigated goal. My God, what a weird way to take that. It, well, this is sticky wicket. Um, it's a powerful voting block in Brooklyn. They mm. swing a big hammer. They have deep pockets. The only way the Blasio is going to find a clear path to anything is, is when he takes his head out of his ass. It's been disjointed. There are no clear answers. You get one statement from de Blasio, and an hour later you get a completely opposite statement from Cuomo. Mm, They're putting their political egos ahead of everything. Good cop, bad cop. Too. Who has a bigger dick, and who's going to? We all know. We all know Cuomo swings the bigger dick. Well, he's a big dick, all right. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the dick is swinging the guy. Exactly. That's the backdrop on this. Nobody's gotten a clear answer since this whole COVID thing started. Look at the. Dish, Look at the mishmash of rules and regulations, and people are trying to comply with it, and they still go out in the Department of, uh, I think it was Department of Buildings today. You know, they went out and they hit a small Italian deli out in Brooklyn over some bullshit regulation, but they're doing it to restaurants, they're doing it to bars. People are trying to survive. Yeah, they don't want that. I don't think anybody can make sense of the guidelines. Now, the issue, and it's been a problem amongst the city community now for a while Mm -hmm. with going by, uh, let's, for lack of a better term, our basic, our baseline standards of what we want. We want people to wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance. Mm -hmm. May I interject here uh, with a quote from the New York Daily News that's along these lines. Here in Borough Park, we don't go by the laws of America, said one in a group of people shouting at the journalists. We have our own laws. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, I I guess. It's a big problem in that your infection rate is soaring. Now, I don't know if masks work, you know, and we've discussed this before. I wear a mask because I just don't want any problems with anybody. Sure. But you don't wear it walking down the street. 
No, I mind my own business. Yeah. And I had a tremendous amount of exposure with COVID when it first started. When mm-hmm. I was still in the police department, my detectives and my team, we dealt with a lot of COVID deaths. And we went by the accepted guidelines. We wore masks. We, we put on plastic hazmat suits. I mean, we look like spacemen. Mm-hmm. None of us got sick. We've gotten so many conflicting, I mean, from the CDC and who knows anymore. You can look at any newspaper and you, or do any online search, and you're going to get 100 different answers. Masks are good, masks are not good. They work, they don't work. Who knows? Right. Wash your hands. Stay away from people as best you can. You know, and, and do the best you can with this. We're not getting clear answers. May I, may I say, though, that I, one clear answer, though, is that the death rate is very low. It's extremely low. And it's people with comorbidities and very old people. In fact, the average age of death, and I've said this before, for people with COVID, the average age of the person who dies of COVID is about five years older than the average age of death. Well, so that's to me that's significant, and I think that almost it's blown out of proportion. I think that when they just say science says wear the mask, that isn't necessarily true. I, I understand that, and that's all. And, and but the law is whatever. You know, we've given Cuomo the the power, or the or the state legislators have to do whatever he wants. Yes, his Royal Majesty, and like I said, almost all the DOAs we went to, elderly people mm-hmm. or people with other secondary issues that were either overweight. Or just in bad health. Kind of uh, shot to the head. Well, that's a little bit different. But I'm, I'm sure if they could get away with making it a COVID death, they would. Oh, they do, though. They do. But now you have this situation in Brooklyn where their rates keep spiking. It, it was an issue when the outbreak first started. It's becoming an issue again because they've always kind of done their own thing. Yeah. Now, what is the answer? How do you handle it? Sending the cops in there? Not the right answer. Not it the right answer. It really isn't. No. They are going to fight. And it's not the kind of fight like you get at it, like we saw back in June. We were fighting with Antifa and BLM and stuff like that. It's a different kind of fight with these guys. It's, it's more like just <laughs> thousands of guys that look like penguins with beards. And I, I don't mean that as a... No, but an insult either. But in a sense, it is like Antifa because of you know they can do black block without even wearing masks. Exactly, and you get swarmed by them, scuffling, and but when it's over, they leave. They don't burn down the neighborhood. They don't wreck anything. Thank you very much for the fighting. Listen, hey, <laughs> I've always in my dealings with them, no matter where I worked, I always got along pretty good with them. You talk to them straight, and when you're getting your chain yanked, you say, "Hey, listen." Stop the bullshit, all right? Mm-hmm. Stop yanking my chain here, all right? Well, you can't take them personally or seriously. No. They think that they're way better than me, you, anybody who's not them, and that's fine. People are entitled to feel that way. It, well, generally, these guys thought they were smarter than you. Yes. Um, and maybe they are. Uh, probably are. Probably I mean, are. IQ point-wise, I think the Ashkenazi Jews are an average of some number of points higher. Well, I, in that respect, uh, I don't know, but well, they invented interest and shit, so pretty smart. Well, that was a smart move. Yeah. But these guys here, you know, you're spiking in your community. To send the cops in there, it's it, it's just wrong. How would you handle it? Well, first off, I wouldn't be sending the cops in there. Not I would that. let them burn their mask. Let them. They want to have a rally in the street. Go right ahead. Right. Don't beat anybody up. Don't cause a situation where we have to get involved. Sure. Don't send the cops in to fight with them. It's a, the only ones that are going to lose in that situation. Are the cops. Yeah. These are not people that are also going to spin out of control and go wrecking the whole city. Mm -hmm. But 
And this is a situation where you need people to go in, negotiate. You need social. I mean, the Blasio's been telling us for years, oh, we need social workers, this and that. Let them go in there and deal with it. Deal with members of the community. Deal with the leadership. It's a, like you said, it's a block of people. Mm-hmm. There are people that stand out as leaders that people will listen to. Mm-hmm. Don't go in there with a fight. Don't go in there with a fighting attitude. Pete, there's a question. If we, can, if, if sending the, the uh, NYPD in is a bad idea, what about Shamrim, their own personal police force, their private Jewish, you know, affiliated? I, I personally am not a fan of anybody having their own private police force. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it would come in handy in this case, you would think, right? But they probably agree yeah. with the uh, Hasidic Oh, yeah. They're not going to agree with you. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, they're um, not going to. So they wouldn't be policing no, this. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They'd sooner fight it out with the NYPD, probably. Yeah. In this situation, though, negotiate with the leaders, and you got to tell them, listen, you got to pound it into their heads, and you got to knock off the bullshit mm-hmm. with having... Uh, parties with the weddings because you know what this stuff inevitably winds up in the news and people will turn against you because it gets blown out all over the news that you're having a wedding with 300 people nobody's wearing a mask you know you're begging for trouble well not beating somebody up i can see i think i'm personally i fully this is where we differ i think they should be having their weddings and their funerals because that's a good way of saying you know what we get it, but we're I mean, to me it's inspiring. Well, here's the issue. This is where we're gonna do. This is where Cuomo and De Blasio really stepped on their hammer. It, we, it leads back into not allowing church services, mm-hmm. and you've seen across the country some of the Christian services. You have cops raiding outdoor Tragic. church services. They have no business doing that, especially no. when these people are pretty much they're standing apart. They're wearing their mask and stuff. Yeah, it's America, you know. For Christ's and. Sake. In this situation here, these people, more so the leadership, say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you some guidance here because it's at the end, what's happening now is once you start getting these severe spikes like they're getting, it leads to bad headlines. People start flipping out. You're not, you're not winning any friends. So what they should be doing here is like, you know, and, and the leaders need to understand this. Shutting down the synagogues, I don't agree with it. Don't agree with it at all. Do they need to be policed? Yeah, but not by the cops. It, that was a bad scene the other night. It was ugly. It was very ugly. I feel like it was established early on that the cops would not be enforcing the mask stuff when uh, there was like a Hispanic woman who, who uh, of course, it wasn't reported incomplete, but it, it led to them not having that responsibility. The NYPD kind of got out of the mask business in May when there was a very violent encounter with the guy. Mm. And, of course, the film only shows you the cop fighting with this guy in the street. Yeah. Meanwhile, this had been going on for minutes with these morons out there drinking and carrying on. It, 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 the mask was a totally secondary issue to not even related. Yeah, partying, drinking, and smoking pot in the street, and fighting with each other. Well, there was, and I'm sorry, but there was a woman with a with her kid too in the subway, and even in that case, she was viciously fighting back. I mean, she was not. It, it, they just wanted her to leave the station or something. You know, she claimed she was trying to get out. It was oh yes, it was yes, yes, all yes, me- it was all, all kind of messed up. And and they got it was you know of course it looked like bad for NYPD, but it wasn't. They were doing their jobs. They're not dickheads uh, that are out like oh let's bother a woman with a kid. That's not what they're generally doing. these situations is because another civilian brings it to your attention and they're like 
You're just standing there and you're posting the subway. You want to mind your own business and go about your day. The dreaded Karen comes up. And all right, lady. And you go over there. It's like, hey, ma'am, do me a favor. Put your mask on. Well, fuck you. Please, we don't need to go there. And that's what happens every time. You gotcha. So in this situation, now there was there were the mask patrols that he was that he was talking about. That we're going to send them into some of these communities. Now they're not cops. Who are they? When, I don't know who they are. I've, I've been hearing about this. I don't know if it's going to be Department of Consumer Affairs. If it's going to be the Sheriff's Department, they'll be deputized members of the uh, nonprofit community. You know, some ex-cons. I would hope not. I, I severely and I really hope not. I uh, think that he wants to do that. The violence interrupters theory, right? Those kind of people who go in and just like, well, we you know we do some extra legal shit. Yeah, but, well, uh, you know, uh, if, if they go into the Hasidic community, and the Hasidic community, for the most part, will respect the police. Mm. If you go in there as a either a board of health kind of guy or a deputized nonprofit man, mass police asshole, they're going to go crazy. Yeah. And it's going to add a layer of complexity if some of these people are African American. Yeah, it will. And, and it'll take racial overtones. Exactly. And it's completely unnecessary. And, and Crown Heights. Next thing you know, they'll be flipping your car over and carrying on. And right. this has got to be done with, you know, an easy hand. And it would just fucking dissipate to some yeah, Eventually. Eventually. Eventually, you, it, got, you got to let some. It's just like with Black Lives Matter. De Blasio took a hands-off approach to that. It intensified, yeah, well, that, and uh, and that was the wrong way to play that one. That one you needed to shut down. But he's not going to do that because he's he's, he's talk, never going to do that. When he talks about it being a uh, historic moment, what do you think he means by that? He says because of because of this historic moment when people are asking for greater greater racial equity, we you know we have to respect that. What the hell is he talking about? You I don't even think he knows what he's talking about because of what. It's a situation where this is not a legitimate form of protest. What what used to gall me was that the only thing, the only protest marches they were allowing were BLM. None of these protests were issued a permit by the city, but because it was a protest, okay, we're going to allow this. So you have 15,000 people outside the Brooklyn Museum at the height of COVID, mm-hmm. but no, it's not a super spreader event, okay? No, it's celebrated. Don't piss on my leg. And tell me it's raining. No. And he's saying, oh, it's historical, it's this and that. No, no, I'm sorry. And, and, and when they put it out there, when he put it out there very distinctly that in terms of uh, if you're protesting the lockdown, instant, you know, uh, police action, you're arrested or issued a desk, you're, it's broken up at least. I mean, uh, that to specifically say that for that thing, because, like, um, I know that it was really the opposite. BLM was the exception. Nothing else can happen. It was the only sanctioned activity. We've talked about it. We talked about yeah, that all summer. Yeah, nothing else happened we, except they wrecked the entire fucking city. Yeah, and, and it was the only thing that young people or any people were allowed to legally go out and do in, in a gathering. This is at the same time Cuomo was talking about. We need people. We need stronger enforcement in restaurants, bars. All this kind of shit he made his rule with the food. And it's, it's terrible that it's the press that doesn't really close in on this and go, how are you justifying this? Yeah, I'm of the opinion you either do it for everybody or you do it for nobody. I mean, the law is the law, right? It's colorblind. It's supposed to be. It's not. Not, in, not in the Blasio world. It's not, not in the Blasio world. And But uh, unfortunately, and, and look, you know, it, it, to, to go even further with it, BLM not being a racial, a truly racial equity group, 
uh, because when you start talking about, well, who do they consider to be a white supremacist? And it's everybody who buys and sells, lives in the United States, and doesn't go out marching for uh, anti-racism. That is that is their idea of a white supremacist. There's it's everybody. Two BLMs here. You have BLM in capital letters, and you have BLM. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I don't All deny that. All people's lives matter. Yeah. When you look at the organization, BLM, in mm. capital letters, and you see the background and the history of these people, he's a hardcore Marxist. And a lot of it's a fundraising operation. Is any of that money going back to the communities that were destroyed? No. None of it. It's become a, a political organization that pretty much can operate unfettered, mm -hmm. especially in this city. Yeah. Um, in, is, in, in cities across the country, but especially uh, but here. Especially here. Yeah. And... and is it fair to the rest of, you know, it's not fair. It's not only is it not fair, it's it's extremely dangerous, and and it sets such a such a bad precedent, you know, for this kind of thing. I mean, they they're across the country. I mean, like uh, our friend Zach Wynn is fighting this in Ithaca, this battle of getting this street mural off of the road, and it's not because because what that does is open it up to political speech of all types. And yet, well, it, it creates mayhem. I mean, there's no it, reason why that should be on Fifth Avenue. It's a big fuck you to everybody else, and and it's a big fuck you to to really the United States because that is what Black Lives Matter is all about: is ending the United States as we know it. I think when he talks about this historic moment, he's talking about the fundamental transformation of New York City into a new kind of thing. You know, that is not going to be. My belief about him has always been he's he's a hardcore. He's Marxist. It's he, not a belief. It's a fact. It's a fact. Well, it really is. Well, you know what? You got to remember, you're also dealing with me. And, and my, you know, I am not a professional doctor or anything like that. And, you know, I'm a, just a man of my own Just opinions. an amateur doctor making a few extra bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in this particular, he's a fucking sociopath. Yeah. There is something seriously wrong with this man. It's absolutely. He is against law and order. He's, he's against people like... It, it's hard to explain. The more misery there is, the more he likes it. He wants to bring everybody down to the lowest common denominator, which mm -hmm. in his case, he wants everybody to live in a, a shitty, crappy, half-broken city. Yeah. When everybody's at that level... He's happy. Then he's achieved equality. He's taken common practices out of uh, some of the poorer communities and tried to instill them across, like with, uh, you know, you can pee anywhere, you can drink in a, anywhere, you can drink, you can smoke weed anywhere. Now the whole city smells like weed. The whole city smells like weed. People are much more comfortable now walking around doing as they wish, doing as they please. And, and I think that some of the communities that where you can't, wander in and, and smoke a joint without, you know, some citizen backlash, Borough Park, Crown Heights, these communities that this, that stuff is not working. So they got to go in and go, hey, you know, you got to cut this shit. And, and now that's, the, I think that's to drag them down, I feel, is de Blasio's thing. It's not about them being Jewish. It's about them being independent. Number one, you got to remember, he's lame duck. He's at the end of the line with this administration. He's mm -hmm. going to be out of office in 13 to 14 months. He no longer cares where it might have been an issue five or six years ago. He no longer cares if he offends anybody out there. Oh, yeah. He, he doesn't. So it, he'll put the wood to them. 
And I don't know how to say it, but I, I, I mean, it's a can of worms. It's going to be a can of worms for him. It's going to be a can of worms for Cuomo to deal with. You would think that the optics of it would would sort of like prohibit him just going nah. and saying, "Now I'm going to go after these Jews," but he doesn't care. Uh, now what we have here, uh, <laughs> what we have here is we absolutely must have consistency of response. De Blasio said in City Hall press, which is briefing. complete utter bullshit. Of course, it for is. But what we've seen over the last year, absolutely, absolutely. Now we we have to ensure that 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 is the direct opposite of what we've seen. And of course, he can say, well, not all. I mean, black. We have to respect this historic moment. It's just garbage. Now, uh, it's just, like I said, we have to ensure that all communities are treated the same way. I expect from tonight, tonight on, a much clearer approach to enforcement. He's making it sound like this is the cop's fault. Of course, he's passing the buck onto them. I mean, like, this is all top I honestly shit. don't think you're going to see any enforcement out there. I think he's just going to back off now. Yeah. Well, that would be a little bit more fair, wouldn't it? They're burning masks. They're burning masks. You can burn masks. Yeah, it's not a lit. It's well, you okay. can't have a lit fire in it within on city streets. That's yeah. a, a city ordinance. It's well, you know. Yeah, I walk. I walk past a, a flaming uh, Hamburglar costume on my fucking block the other day. So I mean, like, I, I stamped I it out. I poured a little liquid on it, you know, and it, everything was fine. I, I don't remember that being. Th- there's there's open fires here and there. I mean, inevitably, and I know I don't know how many masks. I can't imagine it being. If if BLM is burning a flag on the city hall steps, which I don't know that they did, but I'm sure that they've well, they burned down Macy's. They started a fire in Macy's, and you know there was no <laughs> nobody was there was no consequence of that during the middle of the riots. But this is arson, right? If if you've set some masks on fire, uh, he didn't. Uh, the NYPD did not make a single arrest or issue a single summons throughout the two. I, this is a surprising to me take on the reporting here from the New York Post. And I'm going to read it, and we'll see. Listen, I can tell you right now, the cops wanted nothing to do with that the other Of course night. they did Absolutely nothing. Why would they? Why would they? It's not, a, it's not truly criminal. Uh, the NYPD did not make a single arrest or issue a single summons throughout good the two nights them. of protest. That, yeah, good for you. Thank you, NYPD. After Governor Cuomo on Tuesday ordered the closure of non-essential businesses and occup- occupancy limits for houses of worship, Ugh. specifically in parts of Brooklyn and Queens, seeing spikes of uh, in COVID-19 cases. All right. Well, the police's hands-off approach came despite both flagrant public health violations by the mostly maskless crowds. It sounds to me like the Post, and this is news reporting, right? It's, this is pretty slanted. Flagrant public health violations by the mostly maskless crowds and alleged assaults on two photographers on Tuesday night as journalists, uh, and on journalists, I guess, Jacob Cornblah. Cornblah, that fucking Cornblah. He's out there starting shit again. I Listen, those are guys within that community. Yeah, and so, you know. It's not BFD. It's not like it was a, re- a post reporter or the reporter from Channel 7 Eyewitness News. No, this is some dude they know and they're like, cut the shit, dude. Who writes for the local papers or blogs or whatever and... and Shit's written in Hebrew probably. Uh, well, even if it isn't, um, I mean, it, you, you shouldn't assault people. No. Don't get me wrong. Of course not. But that's internal to that community. Right. Um, they didn't just arbitrarily pick them out. Cops would not ordinarily be involved in something... That, I mean, when they say the... Of course, they're blowing up how bad the beating was. I don't know how bad. They make it sound like they were beaten within an inch of their life. I don't know. But uh, point being, though, 
to me, I'm covering the coverage in this case, and the New York Post sounds very, I mean, I, I, I almost can't believe this is the Post, but because uh, their editorial position here seems to be, um, you know, very, very much on par with that of the Daily News, and so... I guess there's really not an opposition newspaper. I'm reading this out of the physical New York Post today for some reason. I like to still buy it. I don't know. I like to read off of the paper. Uh, This is obviously, you mentioned a can of worms. That's what this story is. It's a can of worms. It's bad. So we have to turn our attention someplace else because, uh, you know, we have a huge Hasidic Jewish listenership, and I just want to let them know we value you and what you're doing. Thank you for your opposition to uh, our, uh, you know, Super red, commie prick mayor and uh, and his uh, and the governor as well. Uh, let's talk about DeVernon Legrand. DeVernon Vernon Legrand. Legrand. Now, when I first got to Brooklyn in the seven seven, driving down the street one day and old time is sitting next to me. He goes, "You see that house there, two twenty two Brooklyn Avenue." He says. That was DeVernon Legrand's house. He says, oh, that's great. Who the fuck is DeVernon Legrand? <laughs> well, I learned. DeVernon Legrand was a guy, came up from the South back in the 40s, got involved in becoming like a street preacher, and truth is, he was just a con man slash pimp, just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And much more. And much more. He comes across, I mean, I got to give him credit. He, he had some moves. He says, all right, Dealing with hoes is a problem. He, had, he was running a string of prostitutes. I got an idea. Let me dress them up as nuns, and I'll put them in the subway. According to some of the research I did, he called them the Sisters of Mercy or whatever it was. But oh. these ladies went into the subway dressed as nuns with their cup and a little stand there, and, oh, please help the Sisters of Mercy, whatever. Mind you, every one of them probably been called 50 or 100 times to prostitution. What a moneymaker. I mean, home run to Vernon LeGrand. He was, he was making buckets of ducats. Um, because he trusted me. see these poor old nuns sitting in the Oh, let me help this nun. I'll give her a dollar or a quarter, oh, whatever shit. it is. They were just begging. Begging, they yeah. They didn't even have to suck dick for money. No, 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 no. Not at all. Wow. And probably if they tried, nobody would let them even. They'd be like, no, of not. poor That's... old nun, you don't have to suck my dick for money. Now, you got to remember, this is the 1950s he started doing this. Oh, now, there's a much yeah. different attitude with nuns and the clergy. And People they... had respect for things like that. Yes. And so, unfortunately, DeVernon was DeVernon. And he winds up saving up enough money. He buys this house over in Brooklyn. And he got all these women living there. So he subsequently impregnates most of them. And next thing you know, there's a spawn of kids running around. I'll be damned. um, But DeVernon. That's a good way to ruin your stable. uh, Come on, man. Well, yeah, but you got to look at it from DeVernon's point of view, you know. Um, He wanted to fuck all these bitches. I get it. Exactly. And... So he's got this house filled with alleged nuns and, and kids and everything. But at his heart, he was still just a nasty pimp, nasty, violent pimp. I know he was shot and 
stabbed people. He, he, bad guy. Well, he's classified as a serial killer. Well, I'm getting to that. Okay. I'm getting to that. Right now, he's <laughs> sorry. Right now, at this point, he's just a scumbag, nasty ass pimp. Edit point. Got it. Um, so, uh, codenamed AKA the Reverend. The Reverend. Oh, he was well known. Everybody in Brooklyn knew him. He drove a cream colored Cadillac. And he looks very much oh, like Oh, yeah, a he was. And he would have, you know, there were some issues with the police here and there. Every now and then, some of these women, they were, they were actually chained up, some of them, in the house. Um, we're talking some evil stuff here, put into cages and beaten. caged. Yeah, yeah. This is—he's a vicious, vicious guy. Yeah, and, and this was considered like a cult almost, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like a begging nuns, cult of begging nuns. Um, it's phrased here this way. I don't know. It's just... So now, a couple of them stepped out of line, and next thing you know, people start disappearing. Family members were concerned. Um, I know DeVernon, from just not from experience, just from what I read, I know DeVernon, uh, a family member, went over there one day and confronted him and shot him five or six times, but unfortunately he survived. Wow. So women start disappearing. Now, DeVernon was a slick guy. He bought a farm, big hunk of property in upstate New York. Um, women started disappearing and people started making some noise but this went on for quite a few years and there were a couple of women that he killed outright um i believe it's five known victims maybe as many as killed you said yeah he would take them upstate cut them up uh, burn them in the, the bathtub was on display actually at the New York City Medical Examiner's Office Museum. Where he would cut up the bodies. Yeah, well, they had the bathtub there. They had a great museum over there with all sorts of body parts and instruments of destruction and stuff. It was it was strictly law enforcement only and people in that field. Only law enforcement could go to the museum. Yeah, it was it was nasty. I had um, no idea you guys had your own private museums. It wasn't shit. for us. It was really more for the medical examiner's office. They no longer have it, um, but they had the tub on display. Of which, me being me, I just couldn't help myself, and I had to go sit in the tub. You uh, sat in the tub. I did. Uh, it was wow. a burned-up old tub, but he cut Did, did you actually run yourself a nice bath? You didn't un get undressed before you sat in the tub, I'm assuming. No, it only lasted about two or three seconds with everybody laughing and or right. academy instructor. Quick photo app. And no, there was no photos photo back then. And, and I was um, told... Get the fuck out of that tub. <laughs> I think he was so shocked. He, he couldn't help himself. He tried to put on the stern headmaster face, but I think I know he was kind of smiling. That Funny's funny. You have no choice. Can, uh, I, can I give a, a few details about this guy that I sure. see here? The Reverend uh, DeVernon Legrand. He, he was, uh, uh, this guy was the head of St. John's Pentecostal Church of Our Lord in Brooklyn. Which is some, some made up shit, I guess. You know, That's Pentecostal right. church is, is. It says here he's a New York native, but it would be much more consistent with down south shit because yeah, Pentecostal I'm, I'm church. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a he's a guy that did come up from the south. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly how much this I can trust, but uh, now this guy was, uh, you know, known for he recruited many teenage quote nuns who solicited money for his church. So, like you said, 1975. He had uh, he was convicted of raping one of the seventeen year old nuns. 
So he's a convicted rapist. Uh, in 1976, the bodies of two more of the girls were found in a pond at Legrand's farm in the Catskills that you mentioned. Right? Well, that, so there's a caveat day. with that. There is. Yeah. He cut those girls up, burnt them in the tub. Mm. He had the handyman that lived up on the farm smash all the bones. When they went into the pond, they found bits and pieces. They didn't actually find their bodies. Bodies, are, that's, that's a relative term. It's, it's, so they're rounding some corners here for sure, but a, a handyman, man, a handyman will do. You cannot trust a handyman. Well, when the handyman got bagged, he was like, my only chance here is to just give this up, which he did. He I'm was, just a handyman. Yeah, he was a little bit more than the handyman, but uh, well, they'll do. Anything. he was actually a very handy handyman, uh-huh. uh, especially when it came to disposal of bodies. Disposing and, of hands and stuff. Yeah. Bad guy. Well, you know, you can't be a handyman down in Chelsea. It means something different. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> he and his son were convicted of murdering these these girls in 1977. The pastor, as they're referring to him, I guess, I'm guessing he ain't really ordained, though, was found guilty of murdering his former wives who died in 63 and 70. And he's serving life in prison, it says. But wait just a second. Legrand is not serving life in prison. He's got to be dead, right? He's dead. What the hell? Did he die in prison? He died in prison in 2006. So, yeah, this is obviously much, much... This 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 is badly in need of an update, this this here. Uh, the date of the murders... It lists the number of victims here, 12-plus. So... Uh, I don't think anybody actually has any... Because you know what? It was such a transient group of people moving in and out of 222 Brooklyn Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, the 60s were weird, weren't they? Yeah, they were. But a lot of runaways, um, people living on the edges of society, people that have already been estranged from their families for years. So who knows how many people this guy actually killed. Here's a story from Brad Hamilton from 2010. I know this guy. It's the only reason I mentioned his name. I interviewed him one time uh, for Crime Report. He was he did some investigative journalism about uh, <laughs> investigating uh, rubbing tugs. And he could tell you where the rubbing Steam tugs were. Steam and cream. <laughs> Happy ending. Cream. The the uh, girl met her killer at uh, oh yeah at Adventurers Inn, a second rate amusement park in College Point. I've never heard. I of I will it. take extreme umbrage to that. Adventurers Inn. Adventurers Inn. Well, actually, now it's part of the New York City Police Department. It's the new police academy. Adventurers Inn was an old park. It was right next to the extension of the Van Wyck Expressway going up to the bridge. Yeah, the rides are kind of cheesy. But I'll tell you what, they had an arcade in there that was out of this world. And the reason why I know is my father was a pilot who used to fly right across the street from Adventurers Inn was the old Flushing Airport. Most people have no idea that there was an airport literally next to LaGuardia Airport, pretty much also on the flight path of Kennedy Airport. But my father owned a plane. He used to fly out of there. You know, some days they didn't fly, whatever. But the pilots, they used to like to sit around, shoot the breeze. And they would go up to Adventurers Inn, which had a nice cafeteria. An arcade in that time. Arcade. It had to be like, uh, this is like um, ski ball and uh, throw the ball through the hoop. And, you know, some like pinball machines, right? Maybe yes. a pool table or two. Yeah, actually, it was, it was some of the games are advanced, 72, 73. You had some games in there where... Uh, I remember one, the race car, and you know, this really bad screen in the background. It's a moving screen. Moving like screen. Little, it was, oh, yeah. Absolute piece of shit. But we thought that thing was the greatest. I believe absolute it. Absolute greatest. Oh, man. Um, it's, it's a natural. 
Uh, those games were kind of, they had more character. They really did. Well, my father always swore by the coffee bed ventures in. He always said that was the best coffee in town. Is it the cafeteria? They had a cafeteria where a lot of the pilots, uh, these are not airline pilots, these are private pilots, but they would hang out there. It was also the home of the Skyriders that used to fly over New York City on a regular basis. They would have their planes there. But then across the street you had... Uh, Adventurers Inn. Adventurers Inn. Where they had the best... Uh, the. Uh, they had some pretty nifty rides. Not at all a second-rate park, you're saying, in College I Point? take umbrage to that. To me, it was always a great treat. Maybe I'm just a second-rate guy. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I keep telling people, is that I'm a second-rate guy. To me, this is some first-rate shit. Yeah, we're just low-rent guys. What I, can I tell you? I don't understand. People are so snooty. This It's also a good place to meet your killer. Apparently, 15-year-old Elizabeth Brown was at the park with friends one summer night in 74 when this guy, when he... Saying it's a, it's a mystery when he rolled up in his chauffeur-driven cream-colored Cadillac with his own bar and TV inside, and he stepped out. He would have been hard to resist a dapper preacher in a silk suit with movie star looks, wealth, and charm. Olive oil voice and guinea charm. He ruined her. <laughs> she was the best piece of ass I ever had. I had him all over the world. It sounds like this woman was badly badly ruined this dapper preacher in a silk suit took care of that this uh, pastor divernand doc legrand 50 years old he had no intention of saving her soul his slick approach was intended to snare the girl into his commune in brooklyn where he he plied teens with drugs and booze seduced them and forced them to panhandle in nun garb nun garb i know that this is what happened and i get it i believe it he the, you know, he, he made this stuff available. On this level, when you're talking about a guy like this who's doing this for a living, and you're talking about teenage girls, young teenage girls, okay. But you're dealing with a guy that, let's face it, back in the 70s, we did not have the ability, we didn't even really have the knowledge to track people like this. Right. This wasn't like a guy like the Zodiac Killer that was garnering headlines. His victims, like I said, were all people on the edges of society. Uh-huh. They were either already missing or weren't going to be missed. Hanging out at the Adventurer's Inn. Hanging out at the second-rate Adventurer's Inn mm. with good coffee. Yeah. And, 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 and just waiting for a predator like this to come along. And he, and he stayed off the radar. He wasn't trying to make a big splash. He, he didn't have a political point. No, he was, he was a slick operator, this making guy. A, making a living, right? He's trying to, like... And, and I'm sure that he, by being a preacher, and he, he got... That's how he got his kicks, was, you know, to make concubines out of these women... Imp apparently impregnate. Well, I, I think we're using that word preacher very loosely. Well, in his mind, you know, like he he got to posture himself that way to, in order yeah, to come on over here to the church and what's happening now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, at <laughs> the church of what's happening now. Oh, I love that show. What's happening uh, now? Yeah, that would be a good church. Somebody church. told me the one church time. Church of the What's Happening Now. Actually, he was a cop I used to work with, and he said to me, he says, I'm a preacher. I said, really? I says, I didn't know that. And he says, yeah. He says, the church of the What's Happening Now. Bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is a man of God, and he's, uh, you know, that does really carry a lot of weight, you know, especially then. People like we were saying. Let's they, put it they, this way: they took that shit serious. Some of them. Maybe these people did. You know, the women that wound up becoming his victims. I would think anybody that knew Devernon Legrand, yes. especially police officers or whatever, they knew exactly what he was. Of course, he's a piece of garbage. And and uh, well, like Jim Jones, eventually people figured out, right? But yeah. I mean, like uh, they they like this idea that they are. I mean, I don't know how much this guy believed his own bullshit. I I guess it's hard to say. But oh, I don't he, think he did. he was strictly. 
he was strictly all business. He knew he was full of shit. He was all con. Jim Jones, I think, actually might have believed his stuff. Yeah, that's true. Jim uh, Jones. Thousands of followers. That guy is so, when you listen to him talking on that, you've heard the last. I just actually watched the two-hour special on him last week. Yeah. And, uh, and he's Jonestown, Michigan. A lot of people don't know that he was super gay for young black kids. You know, I didn't. I you know what they did allude to that, and yeah. well, no, actually they didn't allude to it. They said he was having sex with young black kids. Yeah, it's, and 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 somehow that's uh, to me that's an important part of the story. You know, his sexual gratification uh, with all these. And I mean, everybody out there was black. He took mostly black people out there, and really, this this he's he should be seen as as just a supreme villain in the black community. But I, I don't know that he is. But early on, he was actually. I get my. I don't want to say a force for good. I don't know if he was a total freak when he started out. Right. Um, Depends on when he started fucking these kids. I guess. But by the time he ended up and started serving Guyana Kool Aid to everybody, that um, it, it was really off the rails. The shit didn't even taste good. I hear. No. No. I mean, these little babies are spitting it out and stuff. They would take it a little, you know. It's, I mean, that's terrible. Everything that happened, and and and, and they killed the congressman. They killed the congressman on the airstrip. And that's what really, yeah, he came out to look into it. You know, these people being held against their will. Him and everybody who tried to leave with him, except a couple who scattered There was a woman, away. one of his aides. Um, there was, I believe, an NBC cameraman uh, who shot dead. Yeah. Uh, a couple of people made it into the jungle and wound up surviving the night. Um, the mass suicide followed this murder. That night. Quick, that night, yeah. That night. And then knew it was they up. were in the jungle. They were really... In the jungle, just working, toiling out there with his voice over the loudspeaker all the time, twenty-four hours yep. a day, and just like blah, blah. and he he took so many uh, pills and shit that his voice sounded comically like he had the speech impediment, you know, that that drug-induced speech impediment. Yeah, I think he was whacked out of his mind by that stage. Now, now Davernon uh, is is similar to that, but on a smaller scale. I, I guess he killed fewer, but. Uh, uh, he's, he seems as if he was a real menace here. Now, let's try to find out what, what became of him. You know the story a little bit. Tell well, me about it. DeVernon wound up going to jail, but now you have 222 Brooklyn Avenue or whatever it is. He had to have at least somewhere in the ballpark 40 to 50 kids um, who lived in the house. There was definitely a DeVernon LeGrand Jr. I think there might have been a DeVernon Le, LeGrand third. I, I mean, by the time I got to Brooklyn... Vernon Legrands were cheap. There were a few of them. And they were, the family itself, the kids were always in trouble. They were doing robberies and just a, a constant problem in the community. Not his, you talking about his kids? Yeah, his kids. Oh, not his, the his nuns and shit. The nuns are still floating around. And, and you know what? I've heard recently that they have popped up back in the subway. I don't know if they're affiliated with Lagrandians or whatever, but because if they're not, they probably owe him like a commission of some sort. Uh, well, but you know what? Think about it. It's not a bad idea. You know, dress well, up as a nun. You got some free time on your hands. You know, I mean, hey, what uh, is it they say? Alms, uh, alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. Or if you have any angel dust, I can do later. That's what they would do at night. It says Brown became Lagrand's concubine. Elizabeth Brown, fifteen. Hitting up subway riders by day, having sex with them, and dropping angel dust by night. And now, I want this is an interesting quote from Brown's sister Kathy. Okay, this is her sister. She had a good heart, but was very angry, very belligerent. This is about her dead sister. I assume is dead. Our father was sick with cancer and dying. She was looking for stability. A kid like that attracts dirt bags like magnets. Yeah. Talk about blaming the victim. Though. Well, he's a guy that I'm sure he did his attracts dirt. He she attracted him. 
Is that what that's to mean? A kid like that no. attracts dirt bags. Like I don't magnets. blame the child in that case. And I don't think you get that's awful. That's a predator. He's a super predator that can smell those kids out. Right. Yeah. He'll know within a couple of minutes of being in an arcade. And there, there were a lot of them. They were used to be in Times Square. There were quite a few arcades like that. So he just had them. He was the top oh, guy. He knew. He must have had some help running at some some you know he junior did. management or something. He did. Well, he had his one son that went to jail with him. Long about 1988, when I get to Brooklyn, you have DeVernon LeGrand Jr. You want to talk about a piece of shit and just a guy, bad guy, shooting people, getting shot, getting mm. knifed, knifing people. And everybody in the neighborhood knew yeah. Uh, Probably feared him. Oh, they did. He was a bad guy. Yeah. Bad, bad guy. I mean, the neighborhood is Crown Heights. This is, yeah, Crown Heights. You know, people, you mentioned that name and you're know, like, oh, shit. Junkie. Probably had every disease known to mankind. Just a <laughs> horrible human being. He's walking around with Hep C and he has a pedigree for crime. Bad guy. So, the, right, I believe it was right around the end of 89, beginning of 90. He goes into one of the, as we say, aforementioned gambling joints over on, I believe it was Pacific Street and uh, Nostrand Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was a numbers joint. It was the kind of place you pop in, play your number, leave. It wasn't like they were sitting around playing cards. Neighborhood playing. Two old timers in there, and they look out, and they say, oh, shit, here comes Devernon LeGrand. And you see Devernon LeGrand coming down the street, it's trouble. Yeah. Sure enough... Devernon comes walking in, Uzi in one hand and a nine millimeter in the other. Give me the fucking money. And you got to remember, Devernon knows these guys behind the counter. They know him, you know, but he also knows they're not going to call the police either if he sticks the place up. Yeah. One of the all-timers there had enough of Devernon's bullshit, takes out a twenty-two caliber, a piece of shit, Saturday Night Special twenty-two. Ain't good for nothing. And I'll tell you what, this is a guy who's been shot, run over, stabbed, you name it. Mm-hmm. And the old man Food fires poison. off one shot, pop, hits the Vernon in the shoulder. And he's like, the fuck you shot me? Mind you, he's standing there with a Uzi and a 9mm in his hand. Wow. The Vernon Legrand stands there for about a second and keels over dead. And in spite of the best efforts of the various residents of Brooklyn over the years trying to kill this guy, uh-huh. He kills over dead from a twenty-two in the shoulder, fired by a seventy-year-old man. And uh, so ends DeVernon LeGrand Jr. That DeVernon LeGrand, just, like just like that. And the two old-timers, they're like, hmm, now we got a problem. They Damn. take his guns off him. They open up the door. They roll his body in the street. They close up shop and go home. And <laughs> it's like... They don't call the authorities. I don't no, know they do not call the authorities. That is... And uh, I don't think anybody else on the street call the authorities either. They're like, oh, shit, Vernon's dead. And them <laughs> and the authorities are probably want, throwing a party pretty much. And right? the cops showed up, and they're like, oh, shit, that's the Vernon LeGrand. <laughs> oh, well. But the Vernon LeGrand. I always give one my... Of them. Yes. Um, How many kids can you have named DeVernon? Shit. I don't know. It's like George I, Foreman. I, I I don't know. There were a bunch of different moms. I will tell you this. There was another son, not as old as dead DeVernon, the one lying in the street, mm-hmm. who I have to tell you was a really nice guy. Wow, black sheep. He was the guy that you'd see. He'd always give you a wave when you were driving past. He would talk to you. If there was an issue, say if you were looking for one of the kids for a robbery or whatever else they did in the neighborhood, he'd bring the kid in. Wow. And he actually tried to provide 
some kind of structure and environment. Decent guy. So it seems like they would like he was, weed a guy like that out of the family. Yeah, but he was. I think he was the alpha dog in the house by that time. He. Uh, oh. I give that man his credit. He was. He was a good person. He tried to do the right thing when he could. How about the daughters? Because there had to be some girls in there. Thirty six years after all this shit, okay. they assumed his cult was gone. This is going back ten years to two thousand ten. Uh, all this rape and murder had scandalized uh, the city in the 70s. That was long gone, they thought. But last week, they uh, last week being in, uh, what, what did I say? This is 19, uh, excuse me, a 2010. And uh, this article was written in what month? I'm trying to figure out what. Okay, it, it, this article came out August 2010. Okay. Yeah, there's been some issues there since. There's been a couple of police raids. And there's been some lawsuits about the police raids. Mm-hmm. Well, um, how about this? Uh, the uh, uh, that they opened that, like I said, the new probe into the remnants of his clan for the post found Mindy Legrand, his daughter-in-law, pulling the same old sister act in Little Italy. So when you say it's a good scam, I guess you know. They God, know it's a moneymaker. Investigators return to the dark secrets. Alms for the poor. 222 Brooklyn Avenue, violent Brooklyn Avenue, Crown Heights Row House, where two decades, for two decades, he got away. Headed one of the most notorious crime fa- families in the, in the city's history. He fathered. That was literally a crime family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not bullshitting. Right? Literally. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like an organized crime family. It was a crime family. It was him and his Actual 20, family. 20 wives and 47 kids. And 40, it says 46 kids. It's 46. 47, many of whom lived in tiny bedrooms upstairs in the four-story headquarters. Yeah, the place is shithole. They're on the fucking premises, living together like a family. Yep. Wow. It, it's it, Divernon preached on the first floor uh, there. For, uh, for years, kids were kept in cages, starved, and beaten until cops busted Legrand for child abuse in 1965. They had these tiny little rooms. The kids would stay with their mothers or just around everywhere, or just run around everywhere, said Eugene Jarko, who investigated Legrand for the Brooklyn... Do you know Eugene Jarko? Maybe he's a journalist or something. Oh, uh, oh no, for the Brooklyn uh, District Attorney's Office. He investigated him for that. He was a, a Brooklyn DA's office, a ADA. Uh, the the, the uh, street-level floor was where they uh, had the church. There was a big meat freezer in the basement, supposedly where he'd put the bodies, but there was no proof of that. He had a big farm. I guess they go in the freezer in the meantime. Maybe you freeze them. They're so a lot they... easier to deal with when you freeze them. Yeah, I have, yeah. And you know what? From what I understand, when you cut up a body, it doesn't bleed the way you might think because no. it stopped pumping. So It's actually, it, it, you're probably better off freezing them first. I mean, well, you know, it's... You know, do you even thaw them out? Or, well, I mean, they start... It seems like if you freeze them good enough, you wouldn't have to chop them up. You could just break them up with a hammer. Well, no, I think you'd have to do a bit more work than that. But it, it, it's yeah. just that when, when you've got bodies laying around, they start to smell, and it creates all sorts of problems. Well, who wants to drive up to the Catskills three times a week? You know, or especially with something in your trunk that stinks. You never get the smell out. Right, so you got to... You got a, a big meat freezer is just the ticket there. He'd put and said, but no proof of that. Every morning, Legrand's phony nuns pile into his Cadillac. He'd drop them off. Can you imagine a bunch of nuns getting out of a Cadillac and begging for money for this fucking piece of garbage? One fake sister, Vivian Roy, was olive skinned, past as Italian. She did very well on Mulberry Street. <laughs> Hey, I bet she did. She probably did. Now, now you say these were some of these hookers already. Where they he'd find yeah. Most of them were hookers. And what's worse, do you think, 
to to be brought into a life of prostitution or to be brought into a life as as one of Deverne Legrand's nuns? Well, I'm pretty sure by the time you made it up to the level of nun in in his world, you were thoroughly defiled. Trust me. Uh, um, but by but you, a it, smaller it, group of people. But just you, if you think about the logistics, it's a lot easier to go out and put your fake nuns out there as opposed to try and running prostitutes in the street. So you're not dealing with other pimps. You're not dealing with the... Uh, right, we're not competing. No, no reason for us to disagree. dealing with cops as much, locking you up. A whole different income source, too. People who actually have pity instead of people who are trying to buy sex. And probably getting just as much money. Quarter million a year is estimated, and enough to buy the Crown Heights building and a 58-acre farm in Sullivan County. So, yeah, I mean, $250,000 a year back in, what, mid-60s was, I mean... Uh, That's probably two million bucks. Easy. Killing it. Killing it. He paid for the 58-acre farm... Cash money? With rolls of coins. Oh, come on, Devernon. That's just chintzy. Think of all that rolling, man. Think of how many... You need a tractor trailer. That's ridiculous. That's well, ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I got to agree. I, trust me. Vernon wasn't sitting around rolling up quarters. No, he had a whole team of nuns doing that shit. When he wasn't in a rage, life could be good. It says uh, they were tailored outfits, luxury cars, gambling trips good for to him. Atlantic City. Yeah, <laughs> not, not, not good for anybody else. <laughs> when he wasn't in a rage, uh, booze and drugs flowed freely. They lived what they thought was the good life, Jarko said. Kathy Brown added, there was always a party at that place. Jarko even admitted uh, to a certain fondness for the charlatan. I liked him, and I knew the horrors he committed, the grief he brought on this earth. The guy could have sold me anything. He was very charming. He was like an entertainer. What kind of, I mean, that's not a very good ADA, man. I mean, you got to be dead set against this type of shit. Yeah, I think this DA, whoever it was, needs his head examined. Yeah, what? A, it's, a, it's just not a... I mean, unless this guy, he must have been one... You know, he, obviously, he was pretty charming if he was able to put together this kind of enterprise. And 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 really, when they're out there, they can get away. I mean, they can come and go as they play. So I mean, like, um, they're scared, of course. You know, there's there's risk. There were people that tried to get their family members away, and these women would go back. Right? They yeah. liked him. He was charming. You know, this was a life that made sense to them. Well, they're psychologically they held hostage. You know, you can physically remove them. Yeah, but. They're going back. They're like Democrats. So, uh, <laughs> starved. But uh, sans the starved and beaten part, of course. That that will bring you in line pretty quick. A few beatings, I think. You remember that. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, I don't think I want to do that thing that I did again, whatever you got the beating for, whether whatever it was, you know. Uh, but this this guy does go a bit overboard here with uh, his effusive praise of the guy. Legrand was charged with the killing of his first wife, and Cerise, and his second wife, Ernestine Timmons, uh, as a twice divorced guy, I can't say I'm not. I'm not without envy. You know, I mean, <laughs> he actually was divorced. No, I'm. He, he no, he went the other way. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I had no reason to kill my second wife, and really killing somebody—that's a lot on your conscience. Divorce is bad enough. Pulling the trigger on that feels bad. It's You've been divorced? No, no. Doesn't it's frowned be. upon. Um, killing your wife. Um, it's, it is. It's not looked. Really, people look askance at it still. They do. They it's, do. And, 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 you know, it took so long to overcome just the divorce stigma that was, I mean, even in the 70s and 80s being divorced. Remember Kramer versus Kramer? Divorce is this messy, terrible thing. And it's still that way with murder, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think the Vernon had any problems with stigma or worrying about what 
other people thought of him. Well, you know, I think he, he seemed only concerned with appearances in terms of, uh, like, maybe looking wealthy enough to, uh, and he was wealthy, apparently, driving around this big cream-colored Cadillac and bringing in all these, like, young females. Uh, that he, Those are the only people's opinions he cared about, and he only cared about them for the time it took him to bring them into his... Fucking fold. cult, his fold. Uh, as many as 23 additional parishioners went missing, couldn't be located. And cops wondered how uh, had Legrand killed them. And they qu- they twice dug up the basement of the church looking for bodies in 65, three members, after three members vanished. Ten years later, while looking for the remains of two teenage sisters, that's when they found that. It was a long uh, time before they would learn the full truth. It said the cloak began to fall away in 75 when Legrand and his son, Nakanda, isn't that the name of that fucking place in Africa that they that was in Black Panther, Nakanda? I think that's Wakanda. Uh, Wakanda, it? right? Uh, it was uh, convicted of uh, uh, first degree rape. Uh, Legrand and his son Nakanda were convicted of first degree rape, and the and the cloak began to fall away. That was in '75. They repeatedly sexually assaulted a 20 year old woman in the church. The two cult insiders, Kathleen Kennedy and uh, the church handyman, you mentioned Frank. Holman was his name. They came forward to say LeGrand had killed his own daughter-in-law, Gladys Stewart, 18, in a fit of rage. And uh, the truth was much worse. What an angry person. He's always in a rage. The truth was much worse than killing her in a rage. (laughs) Yeah, he's got two two fucking gears, rage and charm. Uh, Very much like my wife, uh, (laughs) my recent wife. Who I do uh, love dearly. Stewart, who had married Legrand's 20 year old stepson, Donald Stewart, had had enough of the family and wanted out. She had also secretly helped prosecutors get the rape conviction, a big betrayal. Secretly helping prosecutors is, is going to eventually be discovered, I would think, in this, in this context. But when she made it clear to Donald that she was leaving for good, he flew into a rage, and that's when uh, Dad intervened. Legrand detained both Stewart and her sister, Yvonne Rivera. She was only 16 and visiting, and ordered the rest of the congregation downstairs to the first-floor meeting room where he demanded they stay until I tell you to come out. And over the next two hours, from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., Legrand and another stepson kicked and beat the two teens. A Legrand daughter went in and told the flock, Daddy's stomping Gladys. <laughs> Daddy's stomping. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, beating somebody to death has got to be exhausting. And I know this is two men. This is two little girls. Um, but, you know, they have you ever tried? At one time I, I had a, a, an old house, and this is back in South Carolina or Georgia, Tennessee, wherever I'm from, and there was a, somebody started a lawnmower out there, and it, and it chased a rat up through a hole into a trap that I had set on the back porch and I saw the rat in the trap and thought I'm gonna I gotta kill that fucker and I didn't want to watch him like wiggle out of the trap or run away with it he was big so I took a, an old step ladder belonged to my dad and he'd had it for he must have had that fucking thing my whole life 40 years or some shit I don't know how long he'd had it wooden you know step ladder heavy and I start banging the rat with this thing and I hit that rat I feel like I liquefied that rat I hit him every time I connected I did it as hard as I could and that rat was still alive after 20 times. And so I think that beating somebody to death would be similar to that, you know, when you have... I couldn't do that. I I certainly couldn't do it. I could not do it. Not to anybody, let alone 
a poor, innocent, visiting sister of 16. Uh, now, uh, Holman said uh, he heard a woman scream, and the group began to sing hymns. Uh, they stayed until 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m. when LeGrand came in and sent them to bed. Wow, sent them to bed. I wonder what hymns they were singing. <laughs> I don't know, closer, my God, to the... Yeah, that's about the best one I know. They were getting closer with each passing blow. <laughs> it's it's not an inappropriate soundtrack for, for that type of thing, but it certainly is unfortunate. The re- I suppose the reason they were doing it was to... Uh, cover up the sound and uh, to distract themselves and sort of like when you whistle in the dark they're terrified and they're like you know like just trying to make some noise make some noise but think how scared they had to be in an absolute terror when you know if you think about it this guy could turn and snap well, they say oh yeah he was a jovial character at times this is the guy that could snap and proceed to beat you to death right this fucking Brooklyn ADA knows that too and, yeah, and I, would like, not be, I thought he was so charming. Yeah, brutal uh, killer, without a doubt. There's nothing charming about this guy. Uh, yeah, he knew how to turn off the charm. And uh, weeks later, by the way, after sending the bed, we uh, after that night, weeks later, Legrand boasted he'd killed and dismembered the girls and had the remains incinerated at his upstate farm. You all remember Gladys, he said. Daughter or no daughter, you'll join the bitch. You know what I do with bitches? I burn them. That little bitch, Yvonne. That's in reference to Yvonne. He didn't call her by name. That little bitch came down to see about her sister, and I got her, too. So, yeah, he definitely was using... Uh, he's That's a little propaganda, just to but, make but, the point. But apparently, with no worry that there would be follow-up, that maybe Yvonne's family would not make inquiry or go to the police, this guy just did not care. He, well... He felt he was that secure in his world that he could do what he wanted to whoever he wanted. And all the, and tell all these, you know, ear witnesses. And look who he's beating up and killing. He, he, he's children. Up children. Girls, little girls. Women, you know. Nuns. Beating nuns. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like the true character of a pimp. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to go. It does get romanticized a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Symptom. Play to play and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. you know what? Lowest form of life on the planet. And, um, well, I mean, the only thing worse than a pimp is a whore. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that expression on your face. But <sighs> yeah, Pete's but a decent person. <laughs> and he's, you've seen more in your life than I'll ever fucking see. I can't even imagine the scenes that you've seen, Pete. But you, you look at the women that get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. They've already been victimized. Right. Nobody just wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think I'm going to go out and become a prostitute today. Somewhere along the line, you've already had some major incidents in your life. You've had major issues with your wiring. And uh, this is a guy, the super predator. He's out there looking for those people to exploit. Mm-hmm. And you look who he took his rage out on the end. You don't see him beating up too many men. or you know. Although, um, you know, shit. If he did it, I'm sure that he would do it with uh, with glee, with an advantage, you know, of some sort. You know, I mean, like this is a guy who likes a fixed game. Uh, yeah, but in in the end, this was a guy that a serial killer, killer, a super predator. This is a guy that you know, like I mentioned yesterday, that he should have been introduced to a wood chipper. When you add it all up, the rape and the finding them, dressing them as nuns, taking advantage of everybody's like. Uh, He's a sick son of a bitch. Think about their their best instincts, you know, to give money to a poor little nun. 
and then to so so there's that and they're all over the city and he has this huge stable of women they're all and he has 46 fucking kids but 40 fucking six this is a man who's trying to take his evil seed and spread it throughout with little teenage girls dressed as fucking nuns and kills them burns their bodies gets yeah. rid of them upstate and i never heard of this guy yeah he's an evil genius never he, heard of him uh, Bad guy. I heard of him. And of course. <laughs> You're how I heard of him. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually surprised that nobody's ever sat down and, and done a movie about this guy. For God's sake, it would be amazing. Yeah. It would be amazing. Jump ahead 50 years later. You're not going to get away with this kind of stuff. People are that much more wise yeah. to it. It's a little different. We're now. a lot more sophisticated. Like DNA evidence and there's video everywhere and shit. I mean, there's a lot to be said. For I mean, it was more lawless than... It has been. I Well, I would have to also say that law enforcement really probably wasn't looking for it, so to speak. I'm sure they knew DeVern and LeGrand was a piece of shit. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, but this kind of thing was so unheard of. Huh? It was absolutely unheard of. Um, Shocking. We really didn't start tracking people. Oh, geez. Probably until the mid to late 70s when they started the VICAP program. Yeah. It was a national database of missing people uh, that law enforcement would submit the profiles on these people. And this is probably mid-70s when it came about. And people started taking a look at this stuff. And people are like, oh, serial killers. Well, serial killers only really started becoming known and more about it. When we started tracking it and realizing that these people are out there, there's a TV series based on. Yeah, that. there is. It, it, well, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff about it. It's um, you know, with the called something criminal Hunter. profiling unit, Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter. Yeah, that show is. Uh, there's not a whole lot of them out there. Don't get me wrong. But they invented the term. That that's where the term came from. I yeah, mean, that started back in the. 70s when the, the FBI started their profiling unit because they weren't spree killers or they weren't mass mur they were mass murderers but different kind they had a different mindset than somebody who just butchered you know uh, like say the uh, Boston Strangler or whatever you know who killed all those nurses and that's another guy we should talk about sometime oh yeah why not Albert yeah. DeSalvo is that the guy who wound up growing tits and smoking weed and being a bitch in prison? Well, he wound up dying in prison. Oh, wait, DeSalvo, a different guy, I'm thinking. Okay. Different guy. Yeah. Um, who was the guy I'm thinking of? Albert DeSalvo was a guy that was floating around Boston. And the, the, and the movie with Tony Curtis is actually a pretty good movie. Uh, he Henry plays, Fonda. He plays DeSalvo? Tony Curtis plays DeSalvo. Wow. Brave um, role. Yeah. Yeah, and he did a great job. Right up there with Gordon Jump playing a child molester, remember, in Different Strokes. That ended his TV career, I believe. As it well should. Um, <laughs> he did it too well. But there's been a lot of look back now, years later, or well, decades, many years later, that some people feel that Albert DeSalvo wasn't responsible for all those homicides. Son of a bitch, that's weird. Maybe we should talk about that on Crime Report on Compound, which we've been on a couple of times lately and has really been improving the show. I think it's uh, on Compound Media. Everybody should subscribe. I've got a couple of shows on there, actually. Well, it's Pat, a, I, I see I, a different side of Pat Dixon. Pat, I'll tell you this. Not only is my head filled with useless information. Love it. It's filled with arcane homicides and perpetrators and that's why you're diamond and all gangsters. That's why and... you're so haunted, Pete. You're so haunted. Yeah. That's yeah, you know what? Everybody's disturbing to me. <laughs> I'm probably a disturbing individual, you know, because people used to say you're in no way disturbing. You're you're you 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 have immense personal Be charm and people and, and are like, so why did you get a hobby? 
uh, when I was in the police department. I said, this is my hobby. This is my safe space. This is where I like to be. This is what I enjoy. And that's the kind of fucking career you want, isn't it? And it's the career I had. And got the job I wanted as a little kid. And then 40 years later, I was still that little kid that had his dream job. But over the years, stuff like this, like the Albert DeSalvos, the DeVernon Legrands, you know, some people read about it, pay attention about it. But for me, it's always been a particular fascination. Yeah. And these are not guys like Son of Sam. They're not the they're not the big names, right? But these were some evil people. Oh yeah, that you know just Sometimes never got the credit they deserved. Um, I mean, I assume at the time it was big stories, but they fade away for some reason. They don't linger in the public imagination because Son of Sam is somehow I don't know. And he, I mean, he only killed one, five or six girls. Yeah, and, and you know what? There's two schools of thought on that. That that's a whole. Separate. Ah, now that we can talk about right here. That's a City. whole other issue. Okay, before uh, we jump into that. For another time. <laughs> we effortlessly talk for an hour and 20 minutes now. I want to close on DeVernon Legrand. I mean, we've talked a lot about this guy. The guy who killed DeVernon Legrand Jr. Uh, the cops caught up with him the next day and, you know. Pinned he, a medal on him. And well, that would have been a little bit Desk appearance of, ticket. Uh, maybe. Well, actually, to pre- the city. <laughs> pretty much at the end of the day, that's exactly what happened. He oh. turned over DeVernon's weapons. Told the cops what was hap- what had happened, and in the end, I believe he was only charged with criminal possession of a firearm because it would be very hard to prove. Uh, you well, know, even it, even with his confession, he would. Well, sometimes the honesty honesty is the best policy. You got the premier psychopath, stick up man, animal standing in front of you with a nine millimeter and, and, a, and an Uzi, and that's it. And he capped his ass. And even in New York City. Self-defense. Public service homicide. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if the people over in 222 Brooklyn Avenue missed DeVernon LeGrand Jr. Devil spawn of... Still in the family, right? That way, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, 222 still owned by the LeGrands. Still owned by the LeGrands. God. But I do want to mention this. Holman, that was the handyman. He joined the church after leaving his job as what? An autopsy assistant. With the uh, violent Brooklyn Medical Examiner's Office. How's that for a twist? Uh-huh. He was a professional. He said he was ordered to load two big garbage bags into his car, drive them to the farm. When he got there, something had spilled from a bag. It was Yvonne Rivera's severed head. And he dumped the body parts, a jumble of body parts, into what? An old bathtub, which you have sat in. I have sat in that bathtub. Doused them with paint thinner and set the contents on fire. They burned for two hours. They, they don't get into the background of what Holman's uh, actual job was in the medical examiner's office, but they do have people over there that do prep work. So prior to the autopsy. So he might be well be a guy that is pretty good with soaring things up and you know have, have a good idea of anatomy. Well, apparently uh, they would need somebody who knew a lot about anatomy to put this back together. Uh, according to Rosenbaum, who I don't I, I don't remember coming across his name yet in the story, who Rosenbaum is, this guy Rosenbaum, he said, I was given two large Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets with bones and told, here, try the case. So maybe it was the ADA. Yeah. The prosecutor. Um, he said he enlisted an expert from the Museum of Natural History to piece together the fragment. Generally, that's what you do. Uh, yeah. Especially back then, I would doubt if the medical examiners had a uh, anthropologist on staff. <laughs> Even as of recently, we've had issues where we've recovered bones and uh, 
and you got to go to you the call back and guys. you say uh listen what's going on with my bones here and they're like oh well we don't have an anthropologist right now yeah we don't when know. will you have an anthropologist well maybe six months from now um, i think they hire them case by case basis yeah because why keep one on staff all the time these things don't come up quite that often which i guess is good no but they're handy to have around the first year i came to new york city was 2006 and that's the year Deverne legrand died in prison at age 82 the motherfucker lived and lived and lived. Legrand and stepson, and stepson Stephen Legrand, convicted of double homicide. He's got 25 to life. And the family business was renamed St. Joseph's Church of What's Happening Now. Yes. Is now headed by Legrand's son, Nakanda. This was in 2010. The convicted rapist and is under investigation by the state attorney general. The agency wants to know why Mindy Legrand is lying about being an Episcopal sister and raising funds for an orphanage that doesn't exist. So yes, they, they're carrying on about Mindy Legrand, who might be, who's one person. Yeah. Just think, 50 years ago, this guy had a whole flock of nuns out there mm. doing this. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. New York City, it used to be weird, and uh, and it remains weird for a lot of different reasons. You know, uh, back in the 50s, 60s, or what, this was like from what? In the 50s, even, too? Was it in the 50s? Oh, yeah, yeah. He got his start really late 40s, early 50s. He was involved with the scam preacher thing probably from the late 40s. Right, and there he was, right, right, uh, operating as a preacher under everybody's nose, I guess, at first, and then everybody, even when they knew who he was, took him a while to put him away. Died at 82. Pete, thanks for your insights on this, because uh, there's... Otherwise, wouldn't even know about this. Very interesting shit, Deverna Legrand. True New York City success story, I guess, in some ways. A real entrepreneur. Despicable human being, but we need to revisit these stories every now and then. It's good to know, because you know what? They are out there. Whatever you do, look after your 15-year-old girls, whether you have those as children, whether you know them as a niece, uh, you're dating them, you know, whatever it is, make sure to uh, keep them away from Adventurer's Inn. Well, Adventurer's Inn is no longer with us, but... Um, <laughs> or any second-rate amusement park. I'm still taking umbrage to that. <laughs> Watch the kids with the phones, with the iPads. That's, don't let them become embroiled in any kind of weird shit. You know, you don't have DeVernon LeGrand walking the street anymore, but you got plenty of DeVernon LeGrand scouring the internet. Yeah, and it's even... They're out there. ...casting a wider net. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Shit, I don't know.